It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. When you think about what's dividing America today, of course, we can talk about things like government, the media, cancel culture, all those kinds of things. Uh, Tim Carney has uh, been on the prowl uh, for many years now talking about what really divides us and what really matters to us. Uh, If you haven't picked up uh, his book, Alienated America, Why Some Places Thrive and Others uh, While Others Collapse, uh, that is a read that is really worth digging into. Uh, looking at so many places around the country with great lessons. Uh, And he is actually here in the state of Utah today doing some uh, research for a new book and joins us on the line. Tim, welcome to Utah. Hey, thanks. It's great to be here. Beautiful day, beautiful state. We we uh, we ordered this day just for you. Nice, cool fall air Thanks. for you. Cleaned up the uh, the smog and the smoke a little bit. And uh, I know you're. Uh, at first, I want to just go back a little bit to alienated America, just uh, for some of our listeners who may not be up to speed, uh, just on what you learned and uh, what you shared as you looked at some of the communities uh, that actually really do make a difference in terms of where the country goes. Well, I, I you use a key word there, Boyd. Communities. Um, when I was looking at things regarding, um, you know, high school dropout, drug addiction, general pessimism, breakdown of family life, all of those things, um, economics would be, proved to be a real inadequate explanation of these, these cultural woes and that community strength, community institutions was the key. And mostly here we're talking about churches but also strong public schools, public libraries, as, as Robert Putnam put it in his book, uh, Bowling League. He wrote yeah. Bowling Alone about how so many more Americans just don't belong to things. And that lack of belonging is the key story of how so much of America has suffered. And the difference between the places where there are strong institutions and where there aren't explains a lot of the difference and sort of the inequality in this country. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating uh listening to the uh, speech delivered by Justice Clarence Thomas uh, last week on Constitution Day at Notre Dame. And uh, he talked about the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and and then he talked about his experience growing up uh, in the Deep South and the prejudice and the persecution that that he experienced. He said, but he, he kept this faith in the country and this duty to country because of the community he lived in and the family that he was a part of uh, taught him that he was a child of God so that even though some people weren't following or treating him the way they should, he knew he had standing, uh, equal standing uh, before God in that. And I think that all ties into what you're talking about in terms of that community, uh, that neighborhood, that yep. family structure. And, and in America, it's interesting. Patriotism has always manifested itself on a local level. I mean, just just think about the fireworks that you see on July 4th. Like, there have been, like, big national fireworks show, but really, we, we watch the local fireworks, right? Um, and then whether you've got your, your scout troops or your little leagues doing a Memorial Day parade, just Memorial Day is a local-level thing. And so that idea of where we find sort of a, a love of country 
a lot of times that happens on a very local level. And, and you know, in uh, Clarence Thomas's case, it wasn't his county that, you know, made him belong, but it was a, a much smaller, even more local thing. And that, that's a real defining trait of America, how local sort of the Americanism manifests itself. Yeah, I love that. Community and culture lead, the politics tend to follow. And you've come out here to, to Utah. You're working on a new book. Uh, tell us a little bit about the research you're doing and what brought you to the state of Utah today. Yeah, so this is almost a sequel to Alienated America. It's about um, the the collapse of the birth rate in America. We've had a uh, massive collapse, you could say, going back uh, to the Great Recession, but also going back two generations. And then 2019 had the fewest babies born on any record in any year on record uh, over the last uh, generation. And then 2020, the pandemic hit and probably makes things worse. So I'm out here in Utah because, well, it's, um, in the top three, by some measures, the number one as far as birth rates and, and that sort of thing. But also it's experiencing the same trajectory, the same decline in birth rates as the rest of the country and how uh, faith and community and even geography, uh, you guys have a lot more space out here than where I'm from in New York, how all those things affect people's attitudes about, do I want to have kids? How many am I going to have? How, how normal is it going to be to announce that you're having your fourth, fifth, or, or like me and my wife, we have six. Um, all of those cultural, geographical, uh, and even economic issues really play into this, country, this question of, of birth rate in the U.S. Yeah, and I wanted to get to uh, something you had mentioned the other day that I thought was just an interesting thing in terms of the birth rate beyond the economics, beyond, you know, kind of looking at society as a whole, uh, to kind of looking at community in terms of how confident are people uh, in the future and how that impacts the birth rate. That's right. And so I, I noticed something looking at 20th century sort of international comparison that you find the biggest drop-offs in the second half of the last century in three countries, Germany, Japan, and Italy. (laughs) And so you do not have to be a student of history to know the significance of those. Those are the Axis powers. Those are the bad guys in in World War II, right? If you think of yourselves as the bad guys or you think of yourselves as the losers, I think that that has a negative effect on marriage and family formation because why would you want more of you? So what if what's happening across the the wealthy countries in the world today and across so much of America is exactly that mindset, the idea that maybe we're not good, maybe Americans aren't good, maybe humans are the bad guys, right? Remember that that thing, nature is healing now that the virus is here, um, that, you know, we are the virus. If you think we are the virus, um, you're not going to want to replicate yourself. And I think on a local level, if you look around and you say, you know what, we're good. We are good. And this is the way I feel, you know, I was at a community, uh, uh, big giant barbecue thing yesterday or at a church event or with extended family. Man, we're good. I'm glad there's more of us. Um, But society-wide in a lot of localities, I think people don't have that impression. They think what we need is less of us. Yeah, I, I think that's such a fascinating thing to look at, especially as you as you look at kind of the uh, reassessment of history or the rewriting of history, the cancel culture, uh, this idea that uh, America is not great or it is not an extraordinary place yeah. uh, that has to impact things. No, that, that we're fundamentally, I mean, 
the uh, uh, America is fundamentally a racist country and that nothing will change that or that humans are fundamentally a curse on the planet. So which is different from saying we need to clean up our act and stop polluting as much as saying that like uh, impact, human impact is defined as being bad in so many people's eyes. And so that's sort of taking a we need to be better attitude and then going to the we are fundamentally irrevocably bad attitude. And that's what leads to I call civilizational sadness. Um, and it's a sadness. It, it's got tons of roots, and we could go on for hours about this. But I think that that is the un, sort of underappreciated aspect in, in the fact that people aren't having babies. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Tim Carney, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, working on a new book. He's here in the state of Utah today, working on that. And uh, we'll continue to follow that very closely, Tim, as you get that research done and uh, into your next book form. Uh, we appreciate your work, your great insight, and uh, again, welcome to the Beehive State today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. Uh, As we've mentioned, President Biden's getting ready for a big speech at the United Nations. The Washington Post, Post, Olivier Knox, is going to join me to break it down coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.